Welcome to The Thought Hackers, the show where you will learn how your mind works and discover how to change your thinking from leading experts and through inspiring stories. Good day, everyone. My name is Nathan Siegel. I'm with my colleague Hamish Baston out of Australia, and we are The Thought Hackers. With us today is Craig Holliday, who is a gifted meditation and spiritual teacher trained in both the yogic and Buddhist traditions. He is a licensed professional counselor offering mindfulness-based therapy. Craig travels frequently offering meditation workshops, retreats, and satsang. He is the author of Fully Human, Fully Divine. His work is dedicated to the discovery of our innate divinity and the expansion of compassionate action on the planet. He works in a way that addresses our everyday suffering as a doorway to our inherent freedom and empowerment. He meets with individuals at his office in Durango, Colorado, and with individuals from around the world on Skype. Craig, I'd like to uh, welcome you to the show. Yes, thank you for having me. It's my pleasure to be here. Welcome. So, so how long have you been involved in spiritual practice? Oh, for the good part about, uh, let's say, 25 years now. And who did you, who did you wind up studying with? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Uh, when I was about 18 or 19 years old, I met my teacher. Uh, his name is David, and uh, he lives here in southwest Colorado. And you know, he was like a, a pretty incredible teacher. I see him as an enlightened sage who lived on a mountainside. And he'd been teaching for about uh, a good 20 or 30 years when I met him. He's not a public teacher. He doesn't have a big website and a worldwide following or anything like that. But he's one of these individuals who's, and it's hard to even describe him, uh, but just an incredibly awakened individual. And I've met uh, many of the great teachers throughout the planet and studied with many of them. And he's uh, by far uh, at the top of my list of beings who I deeply, uh, deeply respect and bow to. So I met him when I was 19 and, and spent the good part of 20 years studying with him and working with him and apprenticing with him. And, you know, we had a very typical uh, guru-disciple uh, relationship. It was quite wonderful, and I feel uh, so fortunate to have that in my life. Many people come to me and they tell me they have a teacher, but, you know, that means they see their teacher once or twice a year or <laughs> once or twice a lifetime. And I... Uh, you know, I would spend 40 hours a week for, for uh, you know, almost a couple decades with this with this individual, and went on many retreats, and I built retreat homes and a whole retreat center with him, and uh, it was it was one of the relationships wow. that radically, radically influenced my way of being in the world. Mm. An amazing journey. So, when you think about your teacher, what is it that makes him stand out or what what is it and what is it about him that is so much different from the some of the other teachers that you've encountered well what a, he had the you know all the typical signs of enlightenment just the, that clear brilliant mind a big open and loving heart and you know so you know i've spent a lot of time studying with ajashanti too and if, of course he 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 embodies those qualities and you know that uh, along with that that deep presence 
you know, and uh, indestructible power. You know, when you meet a great enlightened sage, these are the these are the qualities. But one of the things that stood apart with my teacher David was uh, he was one of these individuals, or is one of these individuals, who's so deeply connected with grace. You know, if you sit in his presence, you would almost feel as if, you know, sometimes like uh, the the intensity of the grace was so profound, it would almost be too bright for for. For many individuals, I mean, sometimes I'd be on retreat, and people who just met my teacher, they would would literally collapse and and faint because the intensity of light and the intensity of brilliance, which would come into the room, he's really a rare a rare being, and um, you know, I've had difficulty explaining his presence to others because most people are comfortable with the Buddhist traditions, and you know, you sit with the teacher, and you may feel an expanded mind or expanded heart. But, you know, this was the experience of, of those things, along with just a deep intensity and direct experience of absolute divinity, absolute light, absolute peace, incredible brilliance. I mean, it was, it was, it was quite radical, you know, to, to grow up in this way. And, you know, so many individuals never had this experience. And, you know, to me, I, I came into this world with a deep trust and love for God. And when I met my my teacher, my heart really opened, and my teacher was able to open all these different heaven worlds and aspects of divinity within me. It was, uh, you know, quite an incredible experience, and to be able to spend so much time with him, and and to be so deeply connected with with uh, with him in this way was was such a gift for me. Mm. I can only wonder. I mean, I've had the opportunity to spend time around teachers, but not in that way. I'm very familiar with Adyashanti, and actually, uh, my teacher, the one that I studied with for a couple of years, his name is Stephen Bodian, and he was given the Dharma by Adyashanti. I sure. studied. I studied with Stephen for two years. As the expression goes, got what I came for. And when you talk about this the radiance and the brilliance and the light and so on. Uh, I remember in my early experiences after going through this thing called spiritual awakening, I felt like a lighthouse. And I, th and I thought that everybody would notice. And when I went out into the world a short time later, I discovered that nobody noticed except for one guy. And when we spoke, it became evident that he'd had an awakening 10 years before, which is why he could see it but everybody else was completely oblivious to it. It was like I wasn't even there. It was just quite an amazing experience. So, but looking at, at what you have written here in, in, in terms of what has happened, you write about suffering and the experience of suffering as a seed for a greater aspect of consciousness. And I'd really like you to go into talking about that. Yeah, well, it's a you know it's an interesting question because you know I've had my fair share of of suffering in this lifetime, and I I always had this ongoing conversation with God is you know what is the point of suffering? And I can remember being quite young and immature on the path, and you know having a really hard time in life and struggling with you know various heartaches and trauma and pain and and you know the way the Buddha looked at life is you know he. He had this very basic teaching. I think it's, you know, not fully understood, but the way it's often translated is he, he looked out at the world and just saw that life is suffering. 
and left it at that. And, and you know, then he went on to, you know, speak about how to work with suffering. But as our consciousness has, has evolved and, you know, as our the scientific revolution has taken place, we begin to see that we live in an evolutionary world. And one of the, one of the great teachings that came from, from my teacher was this, this transmission that Sri Aurobindo often spoke about was the evolution of divinity here on earth, that all is God. And when we look at that, well, all is God. Why would an all-loving God create suffering? What, what is that about? And it made absolutely no sense to me, you know, from a, a Buddhist perspective and, you know, from many of the schools of yoga, it made no sense either. We're here to to wake up out of suffering and then just go to our own private heaven world or world of enlightenment where suffering no longer touches us, that kind of sounded to me almost like uh, an egoic dream, a great egoic desire. I get to end my suffering while while everyone else just sits in suffering. Mm. It sounded very arrogant and egotistical to me. But as I began to look at look at God as evolution, God as innate perfection. Now these two, you know, these two uh, questions, you know, deeply sit with. What does it mean that God is evolution? What does it mean that all is God? Does it mean my anger is God? Does it mean my sadness, my rage, you know, my insanity, my fear? You know, what is all this suffering about? And as I looked out at life, I began to see that life is an evolving journey that everything, every stage of development is a stage of divinity higher than the, than the previous level. But it also has the ability to go into something greater. And so say we look at something like anger. You know, like what is the, the purpose of anger? Well, from a Buddhist perspective, you know, we're taught to transcend our anger, to ignore it, to deny it, to rise above it, to let it go. If you read in the Bible, you see individual an individual called Jesus, and he struggled with anger. I thought, boy, well, if Jesus had anger, you know, was he truly enlightened? What was that anger about? And I began to really sit with this as I as I opened, you know, especially deep in the belly, in the Hara Center and the and the the Solar Plexus Center. So I began to open into this anger. And look at it in a non-judgmental way, but in a truly curious way. I began to notice that as we open to anger, as we allow it to move through our body, our consciousness radically expands. As we continue to open to it from a deep place of clarity, anger transforms into power. If you look at any great enlightened sage on the planet, they know power. They embody power. They embody the strength and the sense of backbone. The only way we truly know how strong we are, how incredible we are, how divine we are, is through embracing all the negative emotions. You know, take fear, for example. When we embrace fear fully, and not just try to transcend it, but when we embrace it, when we walk through the doorway of fear, we discover fearlessness. We discover we go from a place of being absolutely insecure to being absolutely secure. 
secure in the fact that we cannot be destroyed, we cannot truly be harmed in the depth of our being. And when I began to see this, that all these qualities, these negative qualities of emotions that most spiritual seekers are simply trying to transcend and calling an illusion, when we begin to see that they are doorways to greater aspects of our own divinity, the world begins to change upside down, begins to flip upside down. We begin to see that everything has a point, everything has a purpose. You know, the later teachings of uh, the Bodhisattva path, which arose later on in Buddhism, they had these types of teachings. In a sense, you embrace every painful, fearful, scary thing within yourself. You embrace these feelings of absolute sadness and despair. When you walk through the doorway of sadness, you discover absolute compassion for yourself and for all of life. And you begin to see that these, that these moments of sadness, that these moments of pain, they actually have the ability to break your heart open, to open you into a new way of being in the world. Not a way of being where you're looking to transcend or ignore or rise above suffering, but where you are willing to fearlessly, open-heartedly embrace pain. And the funny thing is, this, this may all sound spiritual, but any good mother and any good father knows this. When your kid is suffering, you can look at them and you can tell them to shut up and get over it. You know, that would be one way. You know, that tends to be the, the egoic way. Or you can sit with them and hold their hand, hold their body, embrace them, meet their sadness, listen to their story, listen to their pain. Hold them as they cry and shake and experience the trauma. And as you do so, the child grows. The child feels a sense of trust. They feel a sense of strength within them. They feel that life is not bad. But they feel as if they have what it takes to meet life. Well, it's, it's very interesting that uh, you know, most spiritual traditions were taught by monks and nuns. I was taught by, you know, celibate individuals, individuals who didn't have children. And so most of the spiritual teachings of the past were focused on transcending and getting out of this world. But if you look, it doesn't make any sense. Why would God create a life? Why would God create us and throw us here on planet Earth and say, hey, if you <laughs> what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to see that this whole world is an illusion and transcend it and find your own private heaven world. It doesn't really make sense. But what does make sense is this is an evolving world, an evolving journey. And through the law of oneness, none of us are awake until all of us are awake. So the natural movement of love is to embrace all. It's to walk towards suffering, to walk toward trauma. And as you walk toward it, you truly awaken in an embodied way in an open-hearted way, in a fearlessly loving way. I spend a lot of my time with spiritual individuals who simply want to get out of this world. It's one of the most arrogant and egotistical things we can want is to find a private heaven world and let everyone else suffer. It just doesn't make any sense you know, to go to our own private heaven world. Now that private heaven world is 
a necessary evolving step on the journey. You know, Nathan, you were speaking about this moment of spiritual awakening. My teacher, Aja, he, he speaks about it often. Your teacher, Stephen, speaks about it. And it's an incredible step on the journey. But it's important to remember that it's not the, it's not like we step into this world and then we're free and we don't have to worry about anything. We step into this world and then our heart awakens and we realize, oh, I have this big heart and this clear mind. And we naturally walk toward pain. We walk toward suffering. This is the movement of love. This is the movement of of any mother who loves her child, is to hold that child and embrace her, embrace him, and invite him into a greater reality. It's, it is so true what you say. I mean, uh, listening to the teachings of Adya to do with this, uh, one of the things he was talking about is after awakening, he was talking about how uh, like prior to awakening, we have all these things, all these hang-ups, whatever you want to call them. And it's like we stuff them into a well and there's a veil over top. He said after awakening, the veil gets destroyed and all of these things come up in our lives and we have no choice but to deal with them. It's been my own experience of it. And so there's the opportunity to to deal with all of these things to walk into them, as you say, or to run away. But as I've discovered, is that running away is not an option. It's not possible. It, it, if there's a fear or a trauma or a problem or a hang-up uh, that comes up, it becomes like a post-it note stuck to my nose, and I cannot go anywhere without seeing it. There's no way of getting away from it, so I have to pull the thing off and look at it. Yes, and that's that's absolutely true. I mean, that's the very thing that that hopefully happens with with a true spiritual awakening. We we awake, you know, oftentimes in that third eye center, we awaken with this deep sense of clarity, where we can see all the pain and trauma which has happened within us. You know, I was I was with Adya a couple of weeks ago at his home, and we were we were reflecting on this. Um, a couple of years ago that his father died and then a couple of months later my father died and i was speaking to him about about my healing journey with that experience of when my father died there was this sense of you know in a deep transcendent way it's absolutely okay absolutely okay that he died but in a human way well it broke my heart and so when we when we meet ourselves from this place of absolute perfection, it frees up the energy for us to be human and to actually give ourselves permission to grieve. One of the things that I did, my, my father was really into Triumph motorcycles. And so I, after he died, you know, I, I just went on Craigslist and Googled Triumph motorcycle. And, and I found, the closest one I found was about four hours away. And so I drove across the desert and went and bought this motorcycle. And I would go on these rides and I would speak to my dad and I'd pull over and cry and tears would, you know, tears would well up from my heart. And as I cried, there was this sense of deeply connecting with him, deeply connecting with the tenderness and the impermanence of light, life. It was incredibly healing. 
you know, it's, so many people are are just absolutely terrified of grieving. They're terrified of crying. But the beautiful thing that happens is when we truly grieve, when we truly let go, it feels wonderful. Our heart feels so awake, so alive, so deeply connected with the absolute beauty of life. And it's a funny thing to say this, that through the doorway of grief, we can begin to see the absolute beauty, the freshness, and the aliveness of life. But, you know, most people don't know this. They're afraid of the pain in their heart. And when we're afraid of the pain in our heart, vision, it's a division between us and life. If we want to experience true oneness with life, we have to be willing to feel and experience everything. Now, oneness means oneness. It means absolute connection with the good, the bad, the ugly, the absolutely perfect and the absolutely horrid. And so it's the willingness through walking through these doorways and embracing any trauma, any sadness, any heartache within us that we learn to be fearlessly open-hearted in the world. And so it's this, this thing called death. It can be a beautiful doorway. This thing called heartache or fear or existential anger or rage or sadness or whatever it is, they're all incredible doorways to greater aspects of embodiment and divine realization. It just takes someone who's courageous enough to figure this out, to courageous enough to, to walk through these doorways. Which is why we need someone like you on our show talking about this kind of thing so other people who may be experiencing this or may be coming upon it or know somebody who has been going through it can hear these words and hopefully get some, some comfort from them. And, you know, with the experience of a, a parent dying, I mean, when my own father died uh, a number of years ago, actually, my girlfriend's father died. Three months later, my father died. And in both cases, I went through these very profound spiritual practices. In both cases, I wound up in a place of something I never understood. I still don't to this day, but in both cases, I wound up preparing for death. And I wound up doing all these practices that I I didn't understand and still don't to this day. But when my own father died, and what you were talking about, these these things, I had like 70 dreams of him and all these prophetic dreams and knowledge. And one of the dreams that was so profound was uh, was encountering him in my home city of uh, Victoria. And I wound up chasing him at one point and uh, he ran down a place, opened the door, went inside. And one of the key aspects of the dream is when I got to the door, I discovered the keys were in the door and I took the keys and put them in my pocket. It was very symbolic of being given the keys to yes. whatever and and then the, and then the final part of the dream is I see him running up a flight of stairs stops at a an ice cream stand and he's buying black bing cherry ice cream and then the dream ended my mother came to town the next day I told her about the dream her jaw hit the floor with a clang and she said how in the world could you possibly know that he was buying black bing cherry ice cream for the last two years of his life. So it's yes. just, yeah, so th the doorway of death, It uh, the thing that I had not expected at the time that I was not prepared for in any way was the utter, total silence. 
Yes, it can be absolutely profound for us to step into that silence. And the beautiful thing is, is when we walk through that doorway of silence, many people are frightened of it. They feel as if they're going to be gobbled up by this silence. And if you give yourself permission to surrender into this silence, you wake up and discover that I am this silence. I am this depth of silence that radiates in every direction. And if you notice, the one thing about silence is it cannot be destroyed. It cannot be harmed. It radiates. It's vast in every direction. It's such a profound experience of stepping into true silence. You begin to see that it's ever-present everywhere. It's not dependent upon it actually being quiet. That the whole world is silent, and out of this silence arises everything. The sound of my voice, the sound of whatever it is. You know, Beethoven and Metallica, all of it arise out of this space of silence. And when we begin to see that, and begin to see and experience that this silence is actually indestructible, that it is our very nature, that fear of death that almost everyone lives with, it falls away. You begin to see that I cannot be harmed. It's a profound thing of stepping through these huge doorways, but it, it takes an experience that will push us past our egoic limits for us to step into something greater. You know, so many individuals on the path, I got this, this question from a student the other day. He said, Craig, how can I live in an awakened way without walking through the doorway of fear? And I laughed. I said, it's impossible. <laughs> it's absolutely, absolutely impossible. If you want to know fearlessness, you must walk through fear. And the funny thing is, is you walk through fear and you, you discover incredible excitement, incredible radiance, aliveness. You realize, oh, there's nothing to be afraid of, not even our own death. We don't have to be afraid of this. Then you begin to really live in a different kind of way in this world. Agreed. And everything you said about silence, I, I have also experienced that. Um, my experience of it in that way came a few years ago and I was listening to a teaching by Eckhart Tolle and I had been suffering in a in a particular thought pattern but I heard this and something inside me like whenever I know something is true something everything lines up inside me and I instantly knew there was a major shift and when that happened my thinking processes dropped about 90 percent and I felt this huge field of silence rise and I noticed it in every direction, and from then on, my entire life changed. What you're speaking about, the endless silence that goes in every direction, it's true. And for those of you who are listening to us, this isn't some esoteric thing. As Craig has said, this is our actual nature, and so much of who we believe we are has been it's not actually true. It's what we've been told, it's what we've been conditioned into believing. And the the various spiritual analogies of like the sun and the clouds, well, the clouds obscure the sun, but the sun's always there. And remove the clouds, you can see the reality. And it's like this. It's like my teacher, Stephen Bodian, uh, what he used to say, enlightenment is your birthright. And from my perspective is, we all know this. There, there isn't any way that we can, I can actually not know it, but it's because of our conditioning, because of what we've grown up with, because of what we've been told. 
and believed that we don't actually see this as who we really are and having someone like you on Craig you, you really are illuminating that in a major way and I really appreciate it yeah it's, it's, it's actually a funny thing is that the further you walk on this path and the more you find these aspects of divinity within yourself the more you discover the hugeness of this silence that's here and this radiance and beauty and truth within yourself the more you see it in everyone else I'm always, I'm always amazed that, um, you know, people talk about this thing called spiritual awakening, and in a big sense, I've forgotten about it. I, I make this mistake each day of, of assuming that everyone is awake, because when I look out at an individual, I see their divinity, I see their goodness, I see the, the hugeness of their heart, but then sometimes they open their mouth and they, they prove me wrong. <laughs> it's a... It's a it's a it's a funny thing, but you know what your teacher Stephen is saying is he says it's right. It is our original nature, and everyone is actually awake. You know, they're just most of us are walking around on this planet just as drunk angels, and we just don't know it. We just don't know it, and it's unfortunate. But you know, one of the one of the things that I like to do is just to see to look out at everyone and see that they are already awake, to see that they are divine. It's one of the great gifts that my teacher gave to me is he saw my God nature. He saw my absolute divinity. He spoke to me as if I already was awake. He trusted me and looked at me as if I was already awake. It's a very healing thing. You know, in my therapy practice, when someone comes and sits down in the chair before me, or when they sit on sit on Skype across the computer from me, I see their divinity first and foremost. Now, sometimes an individual will come and they'll, you know, they'll apologize for their presence. You know, they'll say, "Craig, I'm so sorry. I'm so lost and confused and deluded." And I don't see that. I see their absolute divinity, and that's where we start. We work with opening the door to that. And it's from this place of divinity, from this place of absolute perfection and contentment, from this place of absolute love and compassion, then we work with embracing their pain or their anxiety or their heartache or whatever it is. Most therapy is done the, the opposite way. You know, you walk into a, a therapist office and they are deeply deluded or deeply lost in their ego they're deeply lost in their training or their conditioning, and they hide behind their training. You know, they look at you like an individual who's broken and they diagnose you with this or that. To me, it's a terrible way to work with others. We must first see that everyone is divine, everyone is God. Then we believe in them, we see their divinity, and we invoke that divinity forward. And when an individual knows and begins to experience their own divinity, then they actually have the available resources of love and compassion to embrace, you know, any pain within them. And so this is, you know, it's a very important thing in the way I work. Is I don't start with a diagnosis. That's like the Western medical model. You know, I start with the fact that this is God. We are all God. Your trauma is God. Your crazy thoughts are God. Your struggle is God. You know, your ex-wife or ex-husband is God. You know, your delusion is God. 
And how can we access this greater level of divinity within yourself to heal these lower aspects, you know, that you're struggling with in this moment? It's yeah, so incredible to listen to. It's been a while since I've been with somebody who speaks in this way, and it's really incredibly refreshing. It's uh, it's like being given in, well, like an injection, if you will. Um, very refreshing. Hamish, you've been very quiet. <laughs> I think you can. I think you know what place I'm in at the moment with this. Oh, you know. <laughs> of, of, of course, but you are you are my partner in this. It's not just about me and whoever else. Oh, it's, not at it, all. You know. No, it's. I think. I, I, I think we could put this up as a meditation interview, just <laughs> process as well. A coach. I mean, for people to, for people, um, our listeners listening to this interview who might really been going through something having some challenges and the pain and whatever's there could simply just listen to this interview and find it gone it, um, it, it is quite possible there is one other thing that I wanted to say uh, Craig with regard to this this level of trust I mean when I first met Stephen Bodian one of the things that I wanted to see was would he stay with me through my worst pain and I tested him repeatedly and after a while, I realized that he was a real deal. I realized that he would be there for me no matter what, and no matter how bad it would be, that he would never run away. And when that happened, he earned my full trust. And when that happened, I knew that I could let in anything that he said to me without fighting it, without arguing, without anything like that. And through him is when he said to me at one point after working with him for two years he said for you and he said you're done for you spiritual awakening is going to happen and he, later when I met him he said I don't remember saying that and I said you said it and I trusted you fully and I and three months later four months later it happened and it's when we have this full trust in whoever it is that we're working with, where we don't have to defend ourselves, where we don't have to hide, that real miracles can happen. Yeah. Oh, it's it's absolutely true. And, the, you know, the funny thing is, is I have had many students, they do the same thing to me. They try to push me and they try to, they try to break me. They try to get me to turn my back on them. And I, and I, I laugh as I say, look, I'm here to the end of time with you as, as long as it takes. You know, and for for some of my students, it's been a a, a funny journey. You know, Cause, you know they'll say, "Craig, are you still with me?" I say, "Yes, of course. <laughs> why, why would I not be with you?" And they say, "Well, yeah. don't I drive you crazy?" I said, I "Said you no know one drives me crazy. I have this deep love and respect for your divinity. I'm blessed by the people I meet with. I'm blessed by the people I work with. And it's a funny thing is most people aren't able." To hear that when I say that, but I'm blessed by your very presence because you too are God. You too are God. It's not about the teacher having something that the, the student doesn't. Everyone has this. And when we have eyes, we see it, we see it everywhere. Again, you know, if we go back to this, what I was speaking about is any good parent, any good parent does this with a child. 
Now, unfortunately, most of us don't have <laughs> great parents. Most of us don't have perfect parents. And in fact, even if we do have perfect parents who seem to be with us all the time, the, the funny thing is, is God takes takes the life of that parent and then the student or the, you know, the child is forced at some point to discover these truths within ourselves. We're forced to discover this love that does not turn its back on ourselves. You know, so many of us struggle with unworthiness. You know, the sin of unworthiness comes through us ignoring our own pain, through us ignoring our own sadness and grief and anger and rage or whatever it is, through us ignoring our humanity. The way we discover that we are worthy is through us taking the time to sit, just like your teacher sat with you, to sit with you and to hold your hand through every single experience. And as we do so, then we begin to have what I call this awakened backbone, this awakened strength, a strength that doesn't die, that never, it's a light that never turns itself off. And it's a beautiful thing. And the only way we discover this is through walking through the doorways of the most difficult, painful things we've ever experienced in life. You know, a couple of uh, weeks ago, uh, an individual said, well, I, wish, I wish during the awakening process, when things got hard, we could just all go to some island and just hang out there and meditate all day. And I laughed. I said, I said, I said yeah, yeah, that sounds like an egoic desire, doesn't it? That's not the will of God. The will of God is for you to wake up and for you to begin to learn how to love in the world, for you to learn how big your heart is, learn how compassionate is, is the nature of your heart. And the way we do that is through embracing everything difficult, distorted, painful, you know, about our consciousness and the consciousness of everyone around us. If this is the will of God, is for us to embrace everything. And as we do so, we begin to discover, oh, this is the true purpose of suffering. This is the true purpose. Suffering is not a mistake. You know, pain is not a mistake. Trauma is not a mistake. It may be a brutal experience, maybe a painful experience. It may be, you know, a ridiculously ruthless experience, but it's not a mistake. And it's easy when we're lost in delusion or when we're lost in the fight or flight response to see our life as a mistake or to see us as victims of circumstance or this and that. And many of us are, and I don't mean to belittle that, but when we come through the healing journey and embrace all the pain that we've ever experienced, we discover there's something within us that has outlived every hell we've ever experienced. And my question is, what is that? What is that which has outlived every experience of hell? What's that? How big is that? How peaceful is that? How pure is that? How strong is that space that we are? That's it. A brilliant question. And it has reminded me of the many times throughout my life where I wound up in a place where I felt like ending my own life. And the the thing that would never allow me to do it was something that I referred to as a core of steel inside me, small, shiny, black, 
and utterly indestructible. And it was that um, that would never allow me to pull the trigger ever. And I've felt it my whole life. I didn't know where it came from, but as you say, it's in indestructible. And then later, as things opened, I began to realize a much more expansive nature to it. And through awakening and, and seeing that there, there's there's no possible end. There, there's no beginning to this. There's no end to it in a very real sense that this thing that we call dying isn't actually what we believe it is. And we could talk about that in so many different ways, but it was just the recognition of the one for me and the recognition of the one that sees through all eyes. And this conversation that we're having is the one having a conversation with itself. These many different things. It, it changed me so profoundly and so incredibly rapidly. I, I became a different person, it seemed, in seconds. And, of course... On the other side of this thing called awakening is what Ajushanti and Stephen and others call the unfoldment. And it's just ongoing. Yeah, it's, it's, so, it's so beautiful. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a funny thing, too, because when we really look at this thought, and this is a thought that I've, I've faced many times in myself, and this, this, uh, this deep desire to die you know, this desire to commit suicide, when we really look at it, you know, if you're like, a, if you're a parent and your child comes to you and says, I have this deep desire, you know, to end my own life, to commit suicide, and when we really sit with them and open to that experience, what we discover is that the desire to die is a desire for great peace. It's a desire for great freedom. It's a desire to awaken, as you speak about, into a new world, a new way of being. It's a funny thing that even within that, that crazy egoic thought, you know, if I want to get the hell out of this world, if we really sit with it and really feel into it, every thought, every feeling has some level of truth to it, and it's all pointing to something greater. Now, how it manifests, you know, sometimes it manifests in a deeply deluded way. You know, we might be looking down the barrel of a gun or, the, or this or that. But when we become very intimate with this thought and we allow ourselves to feel it fully, our heart breaks open and we do die. The thing that dies is that, that old way of being, of feeling constricted or stuck in some you know, little egoic place. And we wish that. We wish for the death of that and the, the birth into something greater. It just doesn't have to come through, <laughs> you know, it doesn't have to come through a bloody mess. It can come through the doorway of stepping into our heart fully and truly opening, you know, to what your teacher called our birthright. And it's it's right here. I've had many people come to me, you know, and they, they looked down the barrel of that gun, you know, or they made the noose or whatever it was. And then they fell on their knees, you know, and hit the floor and started to cry and their heart broke open. And that desire fell away and they stepped into this whole new world. And it's, it's a funny thing when we're truly open, we begin to see that the truth is everywhere. You know, even our ego is desiring this deep truth. Sometimes we get so wrapped up in our thoughts, we take our thoughts too literally. And, 
you know, for some individuals, they take it, they, you know, they die that way, which is, is terribly unfortunate. But this invitation is for the spiritual death, a death into that which is greater. And see, that's the movement of evolution. That's the movement of God giving birth, you know, in the form of you and I. It's this continual invitation and stepping into greater and greater aspects of our own divinity. I really want to thank you for being on the show with us tonight. It's been really wonderful to have you. I'm really glad that we were able to finally connect and, mm. and to get this to work and to have you here and to be able to speak in this way. You know, we, we do call our show the, the Thought Hackers. The, there's a lot more to it than that. And initially, when we started, I thought it would just be about these mental strategies, but it became very obvious very quickly that the spiritual had a very important part to play and that it would be really important to have people like you on our show so that people could see that there is another way to live. And and you've illustrated that beautifully for us tonight. Yes, well, well, thank you. Uh, thank you so much for having me. You know, it's a funny thing. You, you speak about strategies. And, and what I have found with strategies is they, they can be really helpful along the way. But most strategies are done from our mind. They're mm. done from our superego. They're, <laughs> they're practiced from this place of I'm, trying to, I'm going to try to control and micromanage life. And, and from one perspective, that's a great step forward if we're you know, completely lost in our humanity. But, uh, you know, at some point, have to let go of all strategies and step into our heart. When we step into our heart, we discover there's an incredible intelligence here. And, you know, the invitation is, is can we trust that intelligence and allow it to guide us into, like you said, a greater life, a greater way of being in the world. And then strategies seem kind of silly, but we're given this different way of being we're connected with the intelligence of God and allowing it to live through us and as us. That's when life really begins to change in quite an incredible way. So, yes, thank you. Thank you so much, uh, uh, Hamish and Nathan. Thank, thank yep. you both for having me. I feel honored to be here. And uh, if anyone wants to uh, connect with me, they're, they're welcome to, uh, to meet with me through email or uh, they want to meet with me through Skype or it's uh, all kinds of information on my website about uh, the different th different things I teach and offer online. A lot of it's free. Uh, but if anyone wants to do uh, any of the deeper work, I have great respect for uh, for doing the deeper individual work. I think it's so important. Uh, I, I always benefited <laughs> from you know, my meetings with, uh, meeting with my teacher, David, or Ajashanti, or, you know, uh, many of the other teachers I met along the way, it makes a profound difference to have a little bit of one-on-one -on -one support in this world. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. And for those of you who have been listening, um, for that information, you would find that at craigholiday.com. And is there an email address that they would write you at? Uh, you mentioned that, so yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, it's my name. It's Craig Holiday at gmail dot com, and Holiday has uh, two L's in it. So don't 
don't send uh, the email to the other Craig Holiday because I don't know what will happen with that. But uh, visit my website and there's a contact form on there. That's probably the best way to get a hold of me and all kinds of information about uh, what I offer. Right now I'm uh, teaching a class every Sunday night and it's, you know, it's ongoing, it's free. And so um, there's all kinds of free stuff out there if you feel a resonance with any of the teachings. Um, but um, but I do encourage you, if you feel uh, feel like getting uh, getting in touch with me and doing some deeper work, I'd be happy to meet with you. And uh, there's many other great teachers out there. I think Scott Killaby's been on your program. I like Scott. I highly recommend uh, Scott if you can get in to see him. Uh, your teacher, Stephen, he, he also offers therapy, and he's an incredible teacher as well. And so there's there's all kinds of support out there. There just has to be a willingness uh, to connect with someone who you deeply resonate. You that's, know that's what's that's important. The, that's the big. That's the big thing. Yeah, that's very important. Yeah, you said it twice too, and that's one of the words that I use in describing this whole thing. Is the word resonate is super important for people out there listening to this. There has to be that resonation. There has to be a sense of being in tune or in alignment with whoever it is that you meet. And if you have that and you know that, that's a really good place to begin. And it's what I had with Stephen. It's what I've had with other teachers as well. So it's a really good uh, guide, guiding point, if you will, for those of you who want to uh, do more with this journey. So, so thanks very much for being with us. It, it's been a pleasure, an honor, a privilege to have you on the show. And for those of you who have been listening, my name is Nathan Siegel. My colleague is Hamish Baston. We are the Thought Hackers. And with us tonight has been Craig Holiday. And we thank you for being with us. And we look forward to speaking with you in the next episode. You've been listening to the Thought Hackers. Make sure you subscribe and get each new episode emailed straight to you so you don't miss a show. And have a look at our resources page where you will find programs, audios and books that will create change in your thoughts.